This is Education Podcast, Making Your Masterpiece. I'm Cameron Zendars. I'm creating this podcast, hopefully to help other aspiring teachers, but then also to help current teachers in the classroom as well. And my first podcast is going to be, uh, it's, it's titled, You Can't Be Neutral on a Moving Train, which was a, a book that I loved reading in my undergrad at Illinois State. And the, the premise of it is from Howard Zinn and this idea that when you, you know, it's like an, uh, an analogy, right, of being on a moving train. And, and you, if you're neutral, you're just going to get swayed back and forth on the train. And so the idea is that you have to take a stance. You have to have these opinions and these beliefs. And I often tell my students that you have to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. And so my first podcast is really going to be on this idea that we as educators have to help our students identify their beliefs that are grounded in, in reasoning and logic and um, evidence, but then also help them understand how to have meaningful conversations. And the, the best place to do that is in the classroom. And so I'm going to focus this first podcast on how we as teachers can use safe and useful ways to engage one another in discourse and dialogue. I teach a civics class, and one of my favorite things to do with my students is to show them how easy it is for me to identify their political lean. And they're almost like taken aback by the fact that within two questions, I can with almost 100% accuracy determine what their political lean is, left, right, conservative, or liberal. And unless you've been living under a rock within the last couple of years, you've probably realized that our society is becoming more polarized, especially politically. As a matter of fact, Pew Research has shown statistically that this is the case. In 1994, 49% of Americans had mixed political views. Another way of putting it was that 49% of Americans were moderate in their political views. By 2014, 10 years later, that same poll showed that 39% of Americans had mixed political views. And what that means is that less people are moderate in our country, and therefore they've gone more to the extremes, either more extreme liberal or more extreme conservative. And additionally, the research has also shown that both political parties, Democrats and Republicans, left versus right, have started to view the other with much more disdain. They've basically become less trusting of each other. And you can see that over and over again in this idea of partisanship politics in our, in our country. And what, what I think is so fascinating is that we see this politically, but we also see this within citizen engagement, right? The, 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 you talk to anyone and the, the few things that are off limits for conversation are topics like politics and religion and these controversial issues. And we, we see that as our model in our society as well as political bantering and yelling and, and honestly, in some cases, bullying back and forth of, of you know, my way or the highway opinions. And these aren't things that we just see, but these are actually things that are psychologically true of us. For example, we, we psychologically have something that we all fall victim to at some point in time, which are called cognitive bias. And an example of a cognitive bias is basically a bias in the way that we think. So one example would be something called confirmation bias. And the idea of confirmation bias is that we have our bias, our beliefs, and that we're constantly looking for information that supports our beliefs and that we're less likely to look for information that opposes our beliefs. And 
there was a really interesting psychological uh, research that was done on this by a, a psychological researcher named Peter Watson in the 1960s. And his takeaway from his research was that ordinary people, according to him, evade facts, become inconsistent, or systematically defend themselves against the threat of new information relevant to the issue. Another way of putting it is, we do everything we can to confirm what we already believe and to negate or push away the things that go against our beliefs. As a matter of fact, research has gone on to show that we are overconfident in what we believe and that many of us have a belief perseverance that will hold on to our original belief even once our belief has been discredited. So biologically speaking, we push away or push against conflicting beliefs. It's our, in our fight or flight to protect ourselves from opposing beliefs and opposing um, ways of thinking. And so it's not surprising to see in our society that our model for our students of conflict or dialogue or disagreement is often one in which both sides kind of ram their heads against one another and almost never defer or actually listen to the other side or validate the other side and really are sometimes even incapable of genuinely hearing their perspective from the other point of view. And so one of the things that I've examined more as a teacher is within the conversations I've had with many different teachers, this like deathly fear to have genuine dialogue and conversation with students in the classroom about things that are controversial. And there's a lot of reasons why I think teachers are so afraid to do this, but one of the, one of the reasons I think you can do this in the classroom, I want to start with a quote from Grant Wiggins, a world-renowned educator and, and education researcher. He said, students cannot possibly learn everything of value by the time they leave school, but we can instill in them the desire to keep questioning throughout their lives. And in a lot of ways, I feel like this is my philosophy as a history teacher, especially in the sense that 99% of the content that we teach our students, they can Google today. And so to me, it's not so much the content and making them memorize and regurgitate and vomit back information to us. But instead, what can they do with this information? What can they do with their critical thinking skills? Are they capable and willing to have deep dialogue, discourse, conversation with other people? Are they capable of possessing so many of the soft skills that employers are looking for and the ability to work with others, to have disagreement, and yet still be able to work through that disagreement, to collaborate, to validate, to do all of these things that are vitally important to being not just engaged citizens, but good people. And uh, Paulo Freire, the author of Pedagogy of the Oppressed, said it best when describing what type of pedagogy we want to have in our classrooms. He, he described his, his pedagogy as critical pedagogy. And he said it's an approach through which students and teachers are encouraged to view what they learn in a critical light. Or, in other words, by learning to read both the word and the world. According to the opposite of a critical or empowering approach is banking education, where students learn to regurgitate and passively accept the knowledge they are given. A critical education, on the other hand, expects that students will seek their own answers, be curious, and be questioning. Without a critical perspective, reality is often presented to students as if it were static, 
finished and flat. Underlying conflicts, problems, and inherent contradictions are omitted. Critical pedagogy listens and responds to students' needs, questions, and knowledge to cultivate critical judgment and decision-making skills they will need if they are to become productive members of a democratic society. In a lot of ways, this is, I would argue, my ultimate goal as an educator. There's so many other things, you know, I want to do and I want to accomplish in the classroom. But if I'm not teaching critical pedagogy, if instead I'm focused on the banking model, this is all information that's going to stay in our our students' short-term memories and fail to ever carry on with them in life. I I also teach a psychology class and we talk a lot about how we put things into our long-term memories instead of our our short-term memories. Our minds aren't going to remember or keep things in there that are not purposeful or useful. Yet think of how much of our education system is predicated on the memorization of content, the memorization of information. Instead of teaching our students how to be active democratic members of our society. And I think a lot of what Frey is saying here is that we need to do more than just have students that are passive in the classroom. We need to learn to engage them and make them active learners. And it's not just his his example for why we should do this, but also just when it comes to learning, that all the science shows that we are more likely to learn information if we are actively engaging instead of passively engaging the, the information. And what, what's interesting is the research has shown that when you teach information, you're more likely to possess that information in your long-term memory. The, the premise of it is the more engaged you are in the things that you're learning, the more likely you are to learn them. And so if we have a classroom that is you know, predominantly direct instruction, what we are doing is we as the teachers are doing all of the work, therefore we are learning all of the information, while our students are passively engaging that information and therefore only retaining so much of it. That's why I, as well as I, I think a lot of teachers are starting to realize that there is great good that can come from actively engaging our students. And that's why I try to use discussions and debates and different types of discourse to get my kids engaged in the, in the information that we're learning. And so my first guest for this podcast, Roy Olson, a teacher at Rolling Meadows up north by the suburbs of Chicago, uh, really focuses on how both Roy and I collectively try to bring in meaningful discussion in our classrooms and how we use that as a way to spark engagement and curiosity and critical thinking skills in our students, but also to get them to see that there are multiple different perspectives in life. There's not always just this cookie cutter black and white answer to every issue that we look at. I'm really excited to share this podcast with you. I've I've actually grown to become quite good friends with with Roy through this process, and I look forward to sharing with you the things that I got to learn from him as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Making Your Masterpiece. Thank you.